This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Bronwyn Milkins. Hello, mental workers. Today's episode is the first in a two-part focus on working in rural settings. We'll be hearing from Lauren today about her experience as an early career psych working in country WA. And stay tuned for next week as senior psychologist Julie reflects on the unique ethical challenges of working in the country, as well as why everyone should work rurally at least once in their career. And now for today's episode. Welcome back, mental workers, to the podcast. Today, we are talking about all things working rurally. Rurally is a really hard word to say, but I'm so interested in talking about it because we don't often hear about the challenges and rewards of working rurally. Here with me to talk about it is psychologist Lauren Vines. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Bron. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So today, it's going to be a bit of a structured maybe not interview conversation, but I'm really just interested in getting the nuts and bolts of what it is like to work rurally, some of your experiences, what early career psychs need to know about working rurally. And I hope that our listeners who work rurally can relate to some of your experiences. So the first thing I'm interested in, Lauren, is where you're located and what the population size is. So it's a little bit of a funny one because I'm based near Northern, which is about an hour and a half east of Perth. I think there's three, 4,000 people there. But then I go way, way further out. So I go to small towns that may only have three, 400 people, and that would be spread over the wheat belt. So that might be nearly all of the way to Kalgoorlie in the east and then down to Narajin in, um, in the southwest. So how many hours drive is that? Because I think some of our Eastern state listeners might not realize how big WA is. That's a really good point. So an example I can give you is a regular trip I do is over two days, I see 16 people, maybe go to about seven different towns, five to seven different towns. And that's about seven hours of driving, 650 k's. Wow. You get you get that reimbursed, right? Like fuel. Luckily, it's a company car. Oh so I God. just swiped the motor pass card and they can worry about that. Oh my gosh. That is so much driving. Do you listen to podcasts or music? I listen to so many podcasts. It's <laughs> really fantastic. It's a great way to log hours as well for your um, uh, logbooks. Yeah professional learning and development, all these hours you're spending in the car. That's so true. If you were an audiobook person as well, you could probably get through a few novels. Probably could, yeah. Yeah. Uh, your work role sounds like you go around to different towns and you deliver psychological therapy, but, but what is it exactly? Pretty much exactly what you say. So kind of almost, I consider myself a dido psychologist. So drive in, drive out. A lot of the towns I go to are really small, but they're kind of all along the main highway. So it might be three hours to the big town at the end, but I can see lots of people along the way. And what's your team like? Like, are you the only psychologist in the village kind of thing? So in my first role, it's for a 
a national company that establishes a lots of little remote bases. So they're up in Port Hedland, they're in Darwin, they're in Alice Springs, and then the Perth team and the Wheat Belt team is another part of that team. So I was the only provisional site doing the covering the Wheat Belt, but there were other sites elsewhere in the company for support. It's not like if you don't know something, then you can't call on anyone? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'd say that in times of urgent need, I'd be more likely to call my, you know, a supervisor or a colleague. You know what it's like as a site, quite often everyone's in back-to-back sessions, so you might not be able to get someone. But I've never really had a time that I have, uh, haven't been able to get an answer from someone. You just have to get creative with who you contact. Yeah, and we might talk about this a bit later because I do think working rurally, it, it creates some strengths in people or maybe you already utilise the strengths that you have in creativity and flexibility. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. I'm interested, Lauren, what prompted you to work rurally? So some people might find it odd that somebody's moved an hour and a half away from the Perth Metro and then travel 650Ks to see clients. <laughs> As for me, it was actually a really practical decision. So I finished my um, honours in psychology in 2011. And then like many of us, I found it really hard to get into master's, even though I had great grades. So I put that on hold for a little while, came back to it a few years later and then began looking for internships. And again, it was really tricky to find one in the metro area, which is where I used to live. And then a friend of mine shared a job advert for this company on her Facebook page doing regional work. And I said, oh, that sounds really good, but you don't take provisionals, do you? She said, actually, we do. I'm like, oh, you don't happen to work in the wheat belt, do you? Because that's where I'm moving to. It's like, oh, my gosh, yes, please. So that's actually how it happened. It was the easiest route for me to do my four plus two towards general registration. And it just happened to be that I was already relocating in that direction. And I kind of all fell into place with the work and the new house as well. That's amazing. It sounds like it was meant to be then because when I hear about working rurally and moving, that would be one of my top concerns. I'd be like, crap, how much is it going to cost to move there? I wonder, did you have any reservations about moving? Well, it was during COVID times when Perth Metro had lots of rules and the country didn't have rules. So it was almost for a little bit of freedom to (laughs) move outside. Escape, escape to the trees and yeah. leave all of the people and the raiding the shelves behind. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was excited more than anything. Wow, that's so cool. Okay, so you moved around COVID time, you come to this town, Northam, and what was it like starting out for you? It was a slow start because the company I work for was not really established in that area. So it was really actually good in hindsight because it wasn't as if I was walking into a full caseload which would be a bit daunting as first day of a four plus two provisional site yeah so I was able to pick up a couple of clients a week or fortnight and build those trips so the first trip I did on the road I think it was just one day a couple of clients I was home that afternoon And now it's more, it could be a three-day trip if I wanted to because we've really got a lot of clients in the area. Uh, Maybe I'm being too negative. I'm just imagining that this would be overwhelming, but the way you're talking about it seems so calm and that you were so at ease. Um, 
help me understand if that was the case. Imposter syndrome was real, definitely, okay. especially when um, when you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no one else for those, you know, you can't just pop next door to your colleague or your boss and say, hey, what do I do about this? Yeah, You have to fake it until you make it, I guess. Maybe we can talk about that. Like what were some of the good things and not so good things about working rurally then and now? Sure. If we start with the good, yeah. I would say that it gave me a really good general introduction to being a psychologist. I had to know a little bit about everything because you're the only one in the area. So I can't just refer to, you know, a colleague in a different practice who has more experience. Obviously, there were times when it was way out of scope. I remember a referral. I think it was actually my first ever referral and it was for a client in a town, a large, a large regional town. And she had was diagnosed with bipolar, severe self-harm, requiring frequent hospitalizations, lots of behaviors that were challenging for the staff in her home to deal with. The client also had a strong history of trauma and abuse. So when I took that to my supervisor at the time, she looked at the presentation and thought, this is no way a brand new four plus two intern client, especially when you don't have that care team approach. So I guess that was one, that was one challenge where I saw that that is really out of scope. I do have to refer, but for a lot of the other ones, it was, how can I apply what I do know? How can I manage their expectations? It's really important to be open about I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to go away and I'm going to look it up and I'm going to talk to a colleague and I'm going to come back and fill you in next time. So you really need to come up with ways to help meet client expectations, but also be open and transparent with them. Definitely, because I think as psychologists, especially early career provisional psychologists, it's very easy to get yourself into trouble, I think, by giving the impression that maybe we do have all the answers, especially for those really complex cases. We can run into that problem in metro areas where we pretend we have all the answers and we don't. But if you do that, I guess, like, and you run into trouble, you can refer to your colleague next door. You don't have that regionally, so it's even more important to be open, transparent, have informed consent around what you're doing and what the limitations are of what you're doing, as well as the limitations of your scope of practice. That's exactly right. And I think with what you said about informed consent, obviously I was a provisional psych. So as part of my informed consent, it was I have a supervisor because I'm still doing an internship, so I will check things with them. But it also means I don't have all the answers. So being really up clear about that at the beginning. Yeah. But I think in Metro, I found that I do also work in Metro Perth as well, but not as often. In Metro, I find clients are a little bit more picky with who they go to, which is their right and their choice. There's so many providers to choose from, but out in the middle of nowhere, unless there's a huge problem with you, they're probably going to stay with you rather than wait another two years for someone else to come along. I'm interested whether you find that you have to work harder for repairing if you have any ruptures in the therapeutic relationship. That's a really good point. I think... It can be easier in a way in that a client can't easily chop and change to a different therapist. So maybe they've got a little bit more investment. 
but I think it also places more emphasis on that need to repair any ruptures because, again, you can't just hand over to your colleague who can take over their appointments. Yeah, so you're really having to solidify these skills um, that sometimes are quite advanced skills like repairing ruptures, coming up with creative ways to meet clients' expectations and meet their needs, practicing within your scope of practice. Like these are these are pretty complex skills that it sounds like you were exposed to quite early in your career. Yeah, I think so. And I definitely didn't pick them all up at once. <laughs> I'd say I'm not even there on some of them. I still have that tendency to want to say yes, even if it's not in my area, directly in my area of expertise. I think we can all be like that a little bit sometimes. But it's definitely something you have to develop pretty quickly when you're working on your own in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Can I ask, Lauren, like what are the things you like about living rurally? Like what are the good things about that? Oh, I I would never go back to living in the suburbs. (laughs) Um, I am a convert for life, I think. So I'm looking out of my window and I'm looking at a huge national park full of trees and birds and wildlife. There's a very large lizard that lives in my roof, but he's friendly. He's okay. Okay. Um, I'm a little bit antisocial, which is funny funny choice of career but I love that I only have a couple of neighbors but they're real neighbors I know their names and we say hello to each other and the people at the local bakery know you or the local IGA they know you that's so cool yeah that doesn't happen it's like for me I look out and I see uh KFC and Hungry Jacks (laughs) (laughs) and I smell I smell the KFC grill in the mornings and I don't know my neighbors (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong, sometimes, you know, when you don't want to cook, the IGA shuts at seven and there's not really any takeaway places, so you have to be organised. Sometimes when you don't want to cook and you can't get a takeaway, it is a bit inconvenient, but overall I think the benefits outweigh the inconveniences. Oh, that's so cool. Yes, very inspiring. I have considered moving rurally, so I feel feel quite convinced. Lauren, I'm interested in, we talked about this off air, but some of the challenges that you face working rurally, what comes to mind for you? I think the biggest one is one we've already mentioned a little bit, which is where you're, you may be the only mental health provider in a very large geographical area. With that, I find there's the pressure to say yes to referrals. There's the real need to very closely look at your scope of competence and what you can work with. But also the example I gave before about 16 clients and seven hours of driving in two days, there's a pretty decent risk of burnout there if you do that too often because that's a lot of hours that and is then a the lot driving of hours. time. So I think that would be the biggest the biggest challenges around being the working rurally is maybe the only provider in town. Mm. Do you get that sense of pressure that it's all on your shoulders? I've definitely had that in the past, probably at the beginning of my internship, but I have a fantastic supervisor and she helped me to see that there is always someone else, even though there may not be another private practitioner working in the area. There may be something through the public system, not often, but there could be, or there's always telehealth and Not everyone likes to use telehealth, but we can't be everything to everyone all the time. 
sounds like a very grounded perspective and I'm glad that you have your supervisor. She is fantastic. She was the one who encouraged me to do this podcast. Oh, fantastic. Good for her. Thank you, supervisor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) We're very grateful for you. Um, (laughs) It does sound really challenging that pressure to say yes to accepting clients, particularly it already sounds like you've got a full caseload. Like if you're seeing 16 clients over two days, there is that risk of burnout. How do you manage that? Like saying you, you, you can't possibly say yes to one more client, but you feel that pressure to say yes. I only recently learned that skill. I would just say yes and yes and yes. And then my days would get longer and yeah. longer and longer because when you drive so far, you rationalize it. So I can't see them next week when I'm at my home office or at the local, you know, in the Perth office because they're miles away. So when it gets to the point you physically can't squeeze any more people in, I think I realized I did have to be realistic about how many I can take on. Also, a lot of my work is NDIS work, so a little bit different to Medicare in that we don't have, you know, a six-session or a ten-session package. Quite often the NDIS plans would keep renewing. So that idea that we have to look and make sure there's an ongoing clinical need in our clients and that we are always working towards goals, and it's okay to actually say, Um, I'm going to leave you to work on what we've practiced for two months. I can pick up another few different clients and kind of do a bit of a juggling act where maybe the caseload looks quite high on paper, but they might not all be actively having sessions at once. They might just be on my books and then, you know, I'll do a check-in every month or two with them. So I guess spreading, spreading the load, spreading the love. Mm, again, what I'm hearing is these creative solutions out of necessity that people in rural areas need to come up with. Definitely, because if I keep a very strict nine to five, Monday to Friday office hours, it's not going to, it's not going to work. So what I really try to do is I'll have my full days on the road, but then I might have the rest of the week where all I do is do my notes do my admin and no client contact. So over the week, it balances out. It might just be two days that were really full on. Yeah, cool. Lauren, I'm interested in anything that surprised you or that you didn't expect when you started Rurally. So these are things that made you sit back and think, oh gosh, okay, didn't expect that to happen. Yeah, I think I was just so shocked to find out how long people were waiting for services. So it's not uncommon out here, but we think it's bagged in Metro, but it's not uncommon out here for people to wait two, three years for a therapy. And that could be OT, speech or psychology. That's nuts. I was like, are you serious? Because there's just so few providers. My company isn't the only one, but I'm the only psych I know of that does the area. Um, But even OT and speech, they're just not enough providers for the amount of clients needing support, especially with funding like the NDIS, which means people can afford services that maybe couldn't have afforded them before. Wow, that's incredible. So that would be quite shocking. I'd feel really sad for those clients as well. Especially, you know, what it's like working rurally. The staff turnover can actually be quite high. So there's lots of families I've worked with that maybe have waited two years for a new therapist, three sessions, four sessions, just starting to get some progress. And then actually the person's been offered a permanent position in Perth or in Broome and they're leaving again. So they back on the wait list, start from scratch. Oh, that's such a shame. Wow. 
So then I have some family. So there's a small town that's about three and a half, four hours drive from Perth. And there was a family there that were driving every fortnight to take their child to a psychology appointment in Perth. So four hour drive, hour appointment, four hours home, that's nine hours for one appointment, a whole day off school, a whole day off work. Wow. And that's actually not unusual. That's not unusual. No. That is nuts. It's crazy just because there's people out here, but it's not big enough for people to, you know, have an established office in a small town and keep a full practice. You have to, you know, to see the surrounding towns as well to Mm. get a full practice. So it's possible that you might be seeing even more complex clients than those in metro areas because if people aren't able to get the services they need, they might be deteriorating. Yeah, I've definitely found that when taking some client histories and you hear that maybe these problems begun two years ago and they were asking for help. Yeah. They haven't been able to get any, they haven't had any uh, positive support in that time and you can see that real deterioration over time. Mm. So now you've got a lot more work to do to help them get back to where they want to be. Okay. Lauren, was there anything else that really surprised you about working rurally? I have to laugh because I've, if you asked me before I began my internship where I would be doing my sessions, I would have said, like, looked at you like you were crazy. Like, of course, I'm going to be in an office in a comfy chair with all of my books and resources. And that is the most unrealistic part, the most unrealistic expectation I had, I think. I work out of a backpack and I work wherever people are willing to see me. So I have a lot of Aboriginal clients and clients from other backgrounds that maybe don't want you in their home. So I've had sessions under the tree at the local park. I've had deep and meaningful sessions with people at the local cafe, you know, in the quiet corner, but that's the only place they feel comfortable having their appointment. Lots of lovely schools that are willing to have therapists come in because, again, they're just so grateful to have someone on board to actually help some of their kids. So lots of great schools that will let you use their space. But I've really, and I've also been in people's homes where I've looked around and thought, wow, I really know what your life is like, a little bit of what your life is like. That's so true. Wow. I didn't even consider that, but it's something that can be really rich in terms of the therapeutic relationship and that insight. It really is. But if someone, you know, if someone doesn't trust you to let you into their home, you meet them where they are. And then over time, if they, you know, will invite me in instead of sitting on the front step one day, that's a huge gain in and of itself for that therapeutic relationship. That'd be so cool. I could imagine going home after that day and just being like, yes, I'm in. I got to sit on the front step instead of on a seat outside. Exactly. <laughs> I've got a question that arises from this one because I'm just thinking, okay, so sometimes people won't trust you to enter their homes. This is probably the most common question that Sykes would have about working rurally. What do you do if you are treating the IGA manager and then you've got to go to IGA? Like, do you see clients around town? And if so, what do you do? All the time. Um, I have been quite lucky so far in that most of my client work has been, you know, four hours drive away. So I don't really bump into people. I did bump into one of my most adorable nine-year-old clients in Costco. And he's like, lives two hours in the country That's and so I live funny. an hour. And we just saw each other at Costco. 
and he gave me a sneaky hug. <laughs> That's so sweet. Really, yeah. <laughs> at home, I'm your psychologist. I can't give you a hug, but it's in Costco. We can we can uh, bond over the uh, over the giant cupcakes here. Yeah. But I've started working more locally in my own town, so it's a really clear part of my intake and informed consent that I live locally, I work locally. I try to make a little bit of a joke about it. Like if you see me at IGA on a Sunday morning in my pajamas, you know, I'm human too. Or if you hear me yell at my kids for not doing the right thing at the IGA, I'm human too, but I won't judge you for anything that happens in public. And I won't acknowledge you unless you acknowledge me. You're always welcome to say hello, but I'll never come up to them. And again, I think it's about that expectation management from the beginning, how we want to be really clear about not if it will happen, when it happens, how I'll handle it. Yeah, no, that sounds really valuable. And it sounds like you're very practiced at saying that, I must say. Very smooth. (laughs) It's come out a few times. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it sounds very necessary. Lauren, I'm interested if there's anything else that surprised you about working rurally. I think how grateful people are to have you on board was just a real standout one and how happy parents, families, schools were to have someone come in and provide the help. I think the need for really good supervision and a good supportive team network as well outside of supervision was really important. I probably had a bit of a mentality that I could do it all myself and sometimes that wasn't the case. If you've had a really tricky client, I had a session where I ended up having to call an ambulance for a client who was experiencing a semi-medical crisis. And I just needed to speak to someone afterwards. It was a real, it was a real shock. And the person I spoke to at work wasn't a psychologist, but she was a different clinician. And she was able to just listen and then do the common sense check-ins. Like, do you need to cancel your next appointment? I can do that for you. Is there anything you need me to do? So I guess realizing that you don't have to do it all by yourself. You do have to have people you can count on really made the difference for me. That's amazing. Yeah, I have heard of other people who have worked rurally and then really not enjoyed it. And I think whenever I hear those stories, a large part of it is not having adequate support. Mm. So I'm really glad to hear that you've gotten that support. And also it sounds like you needed to do a mindset shift in being like, okay, I don't have to do this all on myself. And really I can't, like, I really need somebody to talk to and make sure that I use other people to assist me. Definitely. Because if we don't do that, what happens? We just end up stressy and burnt out and Then if we're already struggling with managing our case list and our wait list and we have to unplanned leave of absence, I guess, short-term self-care, permanent self-care so that we avoid that bigger burnout that happens if we don't look after ourselves. Because working rurally, you don't have your boss there to say, you're looking a little bit stressed or it's six o'clock and you're still at your desk, what are you doing? Or You know, I haven't seen you have lunch for three days because you're always eating at your desk instead of going for a lunch break. You don't have someone else to have that oversight, I guess. So you really have to monitor yourself. Yeah, but I still eat lunch at my desk most days, so (laughs) I haven't really learned much there. Uh, That's fine if you enjoy it. (laughs) I know maybe you're watching like cute animal videos or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Lauren, last question. 
Is there something that you would say to practitioners who have never worked rurally? Maybe there's something they're missing out on. What would you say? I would say I think everyone should try it. It is a fantastic experience. You get to see places that you probably wouldn't see otherwise. For example, I have a client out near Wave Rock and being able to go stay there for work after his appointment and then also going for a beautiful walk around Wave Rock in the morning or at the night and watching the sunset, you get to see the country more than just sitting in your office. It's just a really, I guess, unique set of experiences. That's so cool. I really want to do it. Like I feel inspired and I had been thinking about working rurally and I think this has strengthened my resolve more. So thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on. I really appreciate your time and expertise and thank you for serving our rural communities. It sounds like you're incredibly valuable to the people and the families that you work with. Thanks, Brian. I don't know about that. There's still plenty of people (laughs) out there that need lots more support, but I do what I can and sometimes it has to be enough. Mm, I agree. Well, thank you so much, listeners, for listening. And that's a wrap and catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career psychologists. If there's someone you know who might love this show, let them know about it. It's the best way to get the podcast into new listeners' ears and I'd be so grateful for it. Thanks for listening. Have a good one and see you next time. Thank you.